It's time for your NBA fix. This is the Big Show Daily Assist. Featuring all the latest news and insight on the association. Now joining the Big Show. Senior NBA writer for The Athletic, Sam Amick. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Daily Assist brought to you by our friends at Lee's Heating and Air. Check them out online, leesheatac.com. Let's get out to the Sprint special guest line. Sprint, they make it safe and easy to get what you need online. Visit sprint.com for online services and local store availability. Of course, he makes the magic happen for The Athletic. He's our good friend, Sam Amick. Hi, Sam. How are you? Hi, guys. Good afternoon. Doing just fine. How are you? Uh, well, we're we're hanging in yeah. there, I think, aren't we, Jake? Yeah, I, I doing think great. So. Although I am waiting to find out whether I'm going to be scolded for my pessimism again today, Sam, or, or whether where you are on that <laughs> on that range. It seems to we're all varying a tad bit from week to week, aren't we? Yeah, for sure. Um, and I would never, uh, despite our past conversations, would never scold anybody for having not you know i wouldn't even call it pessimism gordon it's you know it's restraint and we all know how sensitive the situation is but i probably um haven't moved much in terms of thinking that if i was a betting man that i would i would still err on the side of them having a playoff um you're seeing some of that kind of play out with the public comments you and then your guys' backyard, Dennis Lindsay, making it clear that his preference is to finish the season. Now, I know that's a, a tricky you – know, I'm not trying to, to say that, that Dennis is campaigning for it. They all preface it by saying that the doctors and the scientists are going to lead the way. But um, fingers crossed for sure that there's not – I mean, to me, if, there's, if this current trend continues in terms of the virus – then it leaves the door open for the NBA to return. Now, if there's a spike, um, which is very possible, obviously, based on a lot of different states reopening now, then that's a game changer. So, you know, stay tuned. Sam, what do you think we can expect from this NBA, NBA, PA phone call uh, tomorrow? Honestly, not a lot. Um, I've talked to some people with the league about it, and it did not get the sense that, you know, they're not going to be, unless it changes, um, discussing, you know, specific proposals and plans that they might put into place. I think it's um, first and foremost a discussion about the return to practice facilities and safety and, you know, maybe some of the concerns within that. You know, C.J. McCollum of the Blazers just did an interview with Yahoo Sports today or yesterday saying that, yeah, he had concerns uh, about kind of like, you know, it's either safe or it's not. So um, he was a little nervous, clearly, about reentering that environment. Uh, Mark Cuban, the Mavericks owner, has said that they will not be opening their facility right away. And, and he's unhappy with the fact that teams are currently being advised to, to not test asymptomatic people. And so for Mark, it's the lack of clarity about who's – uh, who has, you know, the, the virus and who doesn't, it makes him nervous. So I think that's some of the stuff that they're going to work through on that call. So, Sam, who is making the decisions? And how are the decisions come to? How are conclusions at this point? Is there a da- daily update? Is there a group of people who are meeting together and, and voting on things? How, what's the power structure? 
Um, and I get the sense that in some fashion, you know, in some ways, it's it's kind of analogous to the way the government's working right now, meaning that the you know the governors are leading the way for their respective states, just and the teams are leading the way for their respective teams. Now, if anybody went too far afield, uh, you know, and, and was going against government policy with the team, then certainly the NBA would step in. But the teams are leading the way. Uh, even in my neck of the woods is a, an interesting outlier because the Kings are going to return to their facility on Monday in spite of the fact that the stay-at-home order is uh, still in effect through the 18th. But the Sacramento County, and now the, so that's for California, obviously four NBA teams. But in Sacramento County, they have a public health order that was that was approved in which, um, what do they call it, non-contact recreational facilities um, can reopen. And so not gyms, but this is like a different distinction. Well, the Kings got approval to be classified as that. And so they're going back on Monday. And just to make sure... I don't know if you guys have gotten into this on the show, but for the listeners, this is not the return of NBA practices. This is the this is a one player, one basket rule. Individual workouts, not only individual workouts, but voluntary. You are you are not allowed to ask your players to return. You simply provide them a place to go if they choose to go. You cannot work with a head coach or any coach on the front of the coach's bench. It's got to be a behind the bench coach or a player development coach. You know, the general managers, unless this rule is changed, initially they were told that they could not um, observe workouts even from a distance. So very strict rules and really probably kind of overhyped in terms of what it truly represents as far as the basketball work being done. It's just basically it's better in the eyes of most NBA teams or some for them to get their guys in their facility as opposed to potentially going to play at your local 24-hour fitness or something like that. Sam Amick of The Athletic with us on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. And Sam, I've been really trying to be optimistic about everything and, and return to the NBA and what, what we all want to see. And what makes me pessimistic isn't necessarily the NBA and their ability to mitigate risk, because I think that they, if they get that on their mind, I think they you know could really be good at it. The problem that makes me pessimistic in my mind is, as you refer to, there's a lot of cooks in the kitchen, from politicians to owners to business businesses to partners i mean there's there's so many opinions that uh, uh, unfortunately or maybe fortunately matter that's what makes me pessimistic any thoughts yeah there are um but i don't know you know i don't know uh, to me there's still a path to execute a plan again with the disclaimer being if if the number of cases nationwide continues to decrease and we not only flatten the curve but get it you know pointed downwards um because you know the some of the different ideas that have been thrown out if you have a bubble city so to speak even that concept i think has been mischaracterized a little bit it, it would not be a you know a bubble city in the sense of a completely quarantined city uh for one testing would be key and there does seem to be you know, from people I talk to, a fairly high level of confidence in their ability to get the number of tests necessary to check their players every day or maybe every other day. And, you know, now the other, within that, 
the other thing they are definitely concerned about is sensitivity to the public and the optics of testing, you know, with that sort of volume. Um, so, they're, you know, they are monitoring the testing situation nationwide because, you know, you don't want to be out there burning through 350 tests a day uh, when the rest of the public is still struggling to get what they need. So, uh, but as far as the cooks in the kitchen, Jake, I, I feel like it's no more complicated than, you know, it's the organizing and managing with city officials on whichever city you choose to go to. Um, maybe you do more than one city. And then, you know, the NBA is going to lead the way. It's an out of silver production, and uh, the teams are going to fall by the wayside. And really the only political folks who matter are the ones in that city that you're trying to do a partnership with. So I think they can pull it off. So, Sam, I have a question about what Steve Ballmer is doing with the Clippers. He, uh, he, he. I, I think plans are underway, or there's a process for building the Clippers a new arena, right? But Steve Ballmer also has formally uh, purchased the Forum in Inglewood. Uh, is he? Is he? Is that a backup plan, or is is he planning on build, having that new arena built and operating the two different structures? So my rough understanding, and I should be more well-versed in this, I do have a decent sense of it, you know, and, and admittedly I've, I've had casual conversations with people about it. I've read um, the LA Times actually had really good coverage on this story. Um, and, and basically <laughs> it's kind of a uh, it's kind of a, an old-school Godfather-type move that Bomber pulled, which is he had legal complications with the forum, which was previously owned by uh, Madison Square Garden Entertainment. And so that's a James Dolan, you know, owner of the Knicks uh, facility. So ironically, from the other side of the country, Dolan was jamming Bomber up um, in his pursuit of a of his own arena. And I, I, I cannot pretend to remember all the specificities of, you know, how Dolan was able to present a legal obstacle that he had and they, they had had lawsuits and they had uh you know there'd been essentially kind of territorialism um you know rights that they they were uh, having to get through so bomber ends up deciding you know if you can't beat them by them i guess i would put, say <laughs> like <laughs> and that's what he did so he bought the forum which uh you know it's up to him now but the locals certainly hope that he keeps it open as a music venue and it's a celebrated building that obviously has a ton of Laker history. But, you know, if, if he wants to, again, go the Godfather style, you know, he could he could kind of just beat that thing into the ground and uh, all the Lakers history that went with it because it's, it's now a Clippers era from their perspective. So I don't know what he plans on doing with it. I think he has publicly said that he plans to keep it open as a concert venue. But then that just opens the gateway for him to continue progressing with the Clippers' brand-new facility, which last I remember hearing, you know, I want to say, and it's a ways down the road, but they want their own building, and and buying the forum was uh, was knocking an obstacle out of the way. You know, let me just add to that. When Larry Miller uh, built uh, the the new uh, basketball arena here in Salt Lake City, that was a huge step forward for the Jazz. Uh, would you expect something similar for the Clippers? Because you know, you're very familiar with the situation down there. It seems like the Clippers have always operated in the Lakers' shadow. 
And if you're sharing the same building with the Lakers, it's kind of like, okay, it's the Lakers building. We're just kind of sharing it. Uh, does this yeah. create does this create a new identity for the Clippers if they uh, do manage to have that new arena built? Yeah, no question. I mean, that's their hope because um, you're not. It's bad enough to share a building. Um, you're sharing a building with you know one of the two most successful franchises in NBA history, and even the lay of the land physically at the Staples Center. You know, you walk outside and it's all the statues of Laker greats, um, you know, and it's just, it's, it's everywhere you go. And, and so that is what they want is to have their own identity, to, to have their own history. And they definitely have kind of the little brother complex within Staples Center. Um, they, somebody broke it down to me one time, like they're not only, they're either third on the list or maybe even farther. So AEG owns and operates Staples Center and you got the Lakers, but then you've also got the, the Kings, the NHL Kings, uh, and you got the Clippers. And so it's like anything else, like, you know, when the Clippers needed the venue, when they needed something done within the venue, uh, they just, they were not a priority. And Steve Ballmer is not used to not being a priority, you know. And that's where it's, people still sleep on just the magnitude of how much money Steve Ballmer has made and what he's worth. I mean, it's just insanity when it comes to his wealth compared to every other owner in the NBA. You know, you, I just wrote a story last week about Tillman Fertitta of the Rockets, an incredibly wealthy, self-made man. You know, before this economic downturn, his net worth was about $5 billion. It's a hell of a number, you know? Well, here comes Steve Ballmer at, I think, like $22 billion. Um and nobody within the NBA is even close. And you see that with this purchase of the forum where he's going all in and I forget the price tag on the forum, but it's just incredible what that man can do with his bank account because he is just insanely wealthy. Real quick before we let you go, Sam, because uh, we know uh, you've got a busy schedule, but uh, you had a conversation with Ron Artest or Meta World Peace, and tell us about that conversation. But but first, did did he change his name again? Is that true? <laughs> You know, it's funny. We did the whole interview. I promoted it, publicized it, all that stuff. Somehow missed the fact that he had changed his name again. I guess he got remarried. And I feel bad that he's like, I would have said congrats. I didn't even know that when we talked to him. He got remarried, and I think it's Meta Ford Artest is what he's doing now. His wife's maiden name is Ford. And and so uh, he kept the Meta, but uh, he, he, you know, I, apparently he has changed it. It's so funny because when I talked to him and I covered him for three years with the Kings, and honestly, even with all of the, the you know, his misgivings at the time, he was always a, a total pro with me. Um, I, I call it to me, he's Ron. I, you know, I might call him Meta, but uh, the name change thing has been wild. The, the conversation was a ton of fun. It definitely had, you know, a, another perspective on the Last Dance documentary because Ron was drafted by the Bulls in 1999 right after Michael and Phil and Scotty left. And so right after the, the end of that era, uh, he gets drafted by Jerry Krause. We, you know, he told us a great story about Krause, who was for some reason always kind of, you know, underappreciating their era and their dynasty. He told Ron, he said, Ron, number seven, the number seven title, that's going to be the one that's going to destroy those other six titles. <laughs> So he was trying to get Ron pumped up for the next era that it certainly didn't pan out like they had hoped. Uh, Ron 
was kind of a nightmare during that time. He ends up getting traded to Indiana, and, and the rest is history. So, Sam, if you were going to change your name, I always liked the name Sam. I thought that's a cool name. But if you were going to change it to something else, what would you go with? <laughs> well, you're always putting me on the spot, Gordon. Um, <laughs> what would I go with? I don't know. For some, I'm just going to go stream of consciousness. For some reason, Jack just came to mind. Jack. Maybe I've been, yeah, Jack Amick. Who knows? I actually, one time, uh, I turned a story in with my birth name, the byline of Samuel Amick, and this was like 2006, and uh, and I had an editor tell me that, that he didn't think I should do that, and, and I stuck with Sam. So as you can relate, you know, there was a time when the byline almost changed, and we almost went to the the full name, but, uh, you know, that was, that's a little what-if scenario. Jack Amick. I think it has a good ring to it. Kind of like Jack Ryan, you know? It's just, you know. I hate to admit it. I, so I've been watching Homeland recently, which I love. But I think I think, I think what just happened with me picking Jack was Homeland has shades of 24, which I used to love. And, you know, the one and only uh, Jack Bauer. I think that, that might have been what's on my mind. I'm fancying myself a, a, a you know, a, a tough, smart, saving the planet, you know, um, counter-terrorist agent, apparently. I like it. I like it. I think it fits like a glove. Uh, Sam, thank you very much, as always, and we look forward to next week. Thanks, man. All right, guys. Thank you. See you. Sam Amick from The Athletic with us here on 97.5 and, and 1280 The Zone. You know what? A, a sit-down with uh, Ron Ford, our test, is, or Meta Ford, our test. You know what? He, it has got to be one of the more fascinating interviews out there in sports, right? Well, there's no doubt. I remember one time I had... Uh, the occasion to interview him and Jake I stood there I asked one question and stood there in amazement it was like watching one of those what do they call those things that you spin around uh, when you were a kid a top uh-huh it was it was like watching a top I mean I, he went he went for 15 minutes all all these different tangents and and I walked away you know sometimes when people do that you think oh that's crazy well, it was crazy enough that it started to make sense, and I walked away impressed, actually. Well, you know, the thing with him, he he did battle me- mental illness for his entire career and uh, was became a really advocate of treatment for mental illness uh, as his, his career went on, which I, I find admirable, actually. And, and it, I did think it was funny when they won the championship and he thanked his shrink. But you know what? His, <laughs> his, she, or I'm assuming, I think it was a she, didn't he, didn't he mention her? I think it was I a, can't recall. I want to say he mentioned her name and that it was a, a she. But anyway, I'm sure she played a role in that title. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Helping yeah. him to get the best out of himself. You know, that stuff matters. I thought I, you know, we kind of laugh at it, but that's cool. I, I like it that he turned into an advocate for, you know, there's a lot of people out there that, uh, you know, deal with these types of issues. Good for him. Oh, there are. And, and Jake, it's good that you bring that up because uh, not, nothing to be ashamed of. No, it's just like any other any other treatment that's needed for somebody, you know. Yep. And there there are a lot of very productive people who have had to overcome some hurdle or another in that regard. I think the stigma should be just torn right off of that. And I hope it uh, we get to that point where we're there. It was a she. All right, I did remember that correctly. And not to not to totally go Debbie Downer on you, but I I did read where a health official said today here in our community that their uh, demand for health services or mental health services have gone up three hundred percent thus far this year. 
Well, I mean, probably not a given yeah. the pressures of the day. Yeah, probably not a surprise. But nonetheless, you know, a lot of us are grappling with this sort of stuff. So oh, I, yeah. I always thought uh, that was cool of Ron to kind of figure out that that made an impact in his life and he could help others. She really helped me relax a lot. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's funny, right? And you kind of laugh, but you know what? That's I'm sure that was very heartfelt. If it's going to make your life better, then why the heck not seek that? You know?